Welcome back to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thank you for spending time with us. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good afternoon, Fred. Good afternoon, and we are happy to have with us Daniel Sperling, Founding Director of the Institute of Transportation Studies at the University of California, Davis. Great to see you again, Dan. Yeah, great seeing both of you. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, love having you. Can't wait. <laughs> and we're going to start off with an opinion piece you recently wrote for The Hill, headlined, Don't Fall Prey to the Current Panic Over Automated Vehicles. And you address what you call the skepticism, frustration, and even hostility that met the California Public Utilities Commission decision to give Waymo and Cruz the okay to operate more, more fully in San Francisco. Dan, you talk about the larger and more important issues behind the headlines here. Yeah, I was frustrated. You know, I kept, because I'm in California here, I was bombarded with articles in the San Francisco Chronicle, the LA Times, you know, everywhere. And it was just a torrent of all these problems, you know, the, the cones, the fire trucks, the emergency vehicles, blocking an ambulance, which actually turned out not to be true. Um, and so I finally said, okay, my, actually my wife said, okay, just go write a darn op-ed already. <laughs> Stop be belly aching to me. Excellent, excellent. Wives are great, you know, wives are great. <laughs> so, I mean, that was the motivation for it. It was like, because, you know, there's always, you know, the media, of course, it's a lot more fun and interesting to write negative things than it is to write positive things. But I even talked to the LA uh, uh, editorial board because they did an editorial on it and they contacted me and, you know, I told them the story. I says, okay, you know, there's challenges, but we've got great opportunity here and let's not just focus on all, all the things that could go wrong or are going wrong and think about, put it in a larger context and, they mostly ignored me. Well, give us your 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 thoughts. I mean, with all of this coming out and the stories every every week, at least it seems, um, and yet Cruz and Waymo are still there in San Francisco and they're expanding territories. Tell us what your thoughts are about should they have done anything different? In, in rolling it out, I'm not talking about the technology necessarily, but do you think they could have handled this differently? Well, I don't think they could have handled it differently, but they could have done the rollout differently, you know, because they did, you know, they did pick one of the hardest places in the world, you know, certainly in America to test it out in San Francisco. Um, and, but they said that was explicitly why they did it. And so I, I respect that, you know, Waymo started in Arizona where I'm going to be tomorrow. And I've, I've ridden in the Waymo vehicles in, uh, in Chandler in Arizona, and it's really so much easier. I mean, there's, you know, it's broad arterials. There's not that much traffic. There's almost no pedestrians, no hardly any bikes. It's very simple compared to San Francisco. So, you know, that was their choice. That was their decision. And, and I guess, I mean, it seems like they've survived it. 
so, you know, I'd say it's probably, it, it was in the end, it was the right choice. You know, they've gotten a lot of bad publicity, but, but nothing that's stopping or blocking them. And they've learned a lot and they're spreading to other cities. So I think it's, so, you know, my concern has, I'm a transportation guy. I'm not a technology guy. I'm not a automated vehicle guy per se. And I look at it and I say, okay, we have a challenge in this country, in the world. We've created this very car-centric transportation system. And if we want to, if we're worried about climate, you know, reducing greenhouse gases, if we're worried about the vitality of our cities and the health of individuals and amount of space devoted to parking and transportation to uh, roads, you know, it's, it's, there's almost nothing we can do except electric vehicles. Almost nothing else is looking promising. Vehicle miles traveled uh, is, has been flat for many years. It's not gone down. Carpooling has been essentially a failure. We've built all these carpool lanes and carpooling users gone down. So what, what this presents is, so if these vehicles, you know, okay, I'm, I'm telling the whole story now, but, you know, if these vehicles are personally owned vehicles, then, yeah, that's, you know, as I wrote in my book, you know, that's the hell scenario. You're going to see probably a doubling of vehicle use. People are going to treat their cars as hotel rooms, offices, and so on. Um, but, you know, and this is something Alan's been championing also, so that's, partly why I am happy to do this is <laughs> Thank you. that, you know, really just about the only option we, uh, you know, the option we have in transportation for significantly reducing vehicle use, reducing the cost of, of transportation is shared or pooled automated vehicles. And so it's not clear that that will be how this all plays out. But if we shut down, or we keep pushing automated vehicles further in the future, then, you know, we are precluding that, taking advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, well, you know, thank you, Dan. It, it is sort of, it's been what I've been trying to preach on this. I consider myself a transportation person too, although I certainly dabble out in it from the technology point of view. I have for more than 50 years now trying to bring automation to improve mobility in cities failed for more than 40 years. That's for sure, because we didn't, we didn't make any progress. And of course, out of this, I see the opportunity simply because of the, the ways to do automation safely and to really do that, you needed to do new infrastructure and the cost of new infrastructure is basically infinite. I mean, you know, for New Jersey, it's trillions Okay, uh, so and we're nobody's going to do that, not, not not out of the box. And the the real opportunity here with this was, and the thing that we that became perfectly clear out of the DARPA challenges was, my goodness, if you put the intelligence in the vehicle, as opposed to the intelligence in the guide in in the guideway and in the infrastructure to achieve safety, to not run over kids chasing balls, then then in fact, uh, you know. There's an enormous opportunity to be able to, you know, use the infrastructure that's already there, already invested, share it with the existing, and allows you to get started. 
whether or not in the end you take it all over, it's 50-50 or it's 90-10 or whatever the percentage gives you a chance to get started. And to me, that that was the, the, the great opportunity. And and it, one, one has to applaud Waymo and, and Cruz for choosing San Francisco as a place to test the technology, as, as you very well put it. It's tough there, the curviest road in the world, apparently, okay? And, and and everything else that's there, it's tough. Um, but at some point, this has to be a business that provides mobility, which is what transportation is, is provide mobility and improve quality of life. And the thing that I'm stuck on with, with all this is that, that there's basically two ways to provide mobility to people. Non-people, we can talk about, you know, moving boxes and coal and whatever separately. But if, if one's talking about moving people, it's, the, the one is the, the Home Depot do-it-yourself. And the other one is getting a ride and something giving you a ride. And so, you know, many of us have, have invested heavily in the Home Depot approach because to do it ourselves, we go buy a car, we go have garages, we have we have um, parking in front of our homes, we buy what to do, and all who knows what. In the end, not everybody can necessarily afford that. Plus, not everybody gets to drive. If you're under 17 or 16, you don't. If you're getting, unfortunately, you'd be me, well, I can't see anymore. <laughs> Probably, you know, my days are, are limited. And the whole thing in between, all the folks who don't want to. A lot of people need rides. I, I sort of say out of the box, 50% of the people movement, you know, any chunk of time during any day, half of them are do-it-yourselfers and half of them, Need somebody to do it, something to do it for them. They need a ride. My goodness, if you need a ride, Waymo and Cruise have built stuff to give rides. And if you actually look at what they built or what I claim and what we've done in our sort of an evaluation of what would a rollout in San Francisco look like to serve the 2.1 million person trips a day that we think are, are within that 49 square miles, you know? We think the average cost of doing that is $2.43 a ride. $2.43 a ride is the cost, not after subsidy or who knows what by who knows whom and, 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 and whatever. I mean, geez, if you can offer rides that are high quality, basically OD rides, like using an elevator 24-7, San Francisco should be saying, oh, my goodness, you're the godsend. We should be applauding you. Please just look at the improvement and the and the value you're going to deliver to our city if you can do it at that. Now, one of the great what I admire about both Cruz and Zooks is both of them have explicitly emphasized the idea of you know pooling rides, sharing, having multiple passengers, as you and, have forever. I mean, you you wrote the book on it, right? I did. When I visited Cruz many years ago, they said to me, we are implementing your three R's, your three revolutions. Uh, there you go. Yeah. So Really? I, yeah. I mean, you, you wrote the book on it, Dan. 
So, you know, AAA just came out with the cost estimates for vehicles. They're saying now $12,000 per year per car to own and operate a vehicle. And that is for the first five years of operation. So it's, you know, would be less after that. But, you know, that does highlight the huge cost. And if we can start spreading those costs around, you know, as you were just saying a, a, mo a moment ago, you know, not only do we get all the other benefits, but we actually reduce the cost of travel for for individuals. Absolutely. I mean, if you look if you look at at, at if the, at the cruiser, the horizon vehicle, putting it out there, I think they can achieve productivities in that vehicle that that give a hundred a hundred person trips a day in San Francisco. If you do a hundred person trips a day, okay, that means in a in in a year you're doing thirty thousand person trips. Okay. That's that's for that vehicle. Geez, if if you a buck a trip gives you thirty thousand dollars in your pocket to pay for that vehicle. Fifty cents gives you fifteen thousand. Should that vehicle cost a whole heck of a lot more than this triple A number of twelve thousand? Maybe a little bit more. Maybe, but you know, only fifty cents a ride to pay for the to pay for the 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 capex. Well, okay, what's the is, operating cost? Right, this is clearly the calculation that you know Cruise and GM have done. You know, I hope because, they must have. I mean, <laughs> they're putting billions into this. So. They, they must have. But but the one thing that they haven't done in San Francisco is they haven't gone out there yet and say, we're going to really do this affordably, okay? Sure. Right now, they're basically charging what Uber Lyft charges or what a taxi charges. A taxi has to charge more because they have this driver that needs to earn, needs that should, deserves to earn a living wage. Well, do they, do have, they do have regulatory and political issues they got to deal with. So if, if they were seen as undercutting you know, the TNCs, Uber and Lyft, never mind taxis, um, you know, there'd be an outcry because, you know, the taxis have to get all the licenses. They're already upset about the TNC. So if Cruz came in and started, so they're going to have to work through that. And Well, well but, but sure, maybe they need the license if they're, if they are going, and maybe, maybe, uh, uh, crews can pay some licenses for this. Yeah. The license no, fee all... doesn't end up being the problem. The problem with the existing, you know, ride hail market or taxi market that's the same taxis ride hail is that you you have to pay the dr driver deserves to be paid while they wait for the thing while they get to you and when they take you. Okay, you need to pay. You need to pay for that service. You know, one of the very um, innovative and politically savvy things that Cruz did is they worked with some of the local labor unions and got them to support them because they said at the end of the day, yes, there'll be fewer drivers, but there'll be a lot more other jobs generated and created. And the unions uh, supported Cruz on that. So that's kind of, you know, there's a lot of elements to this, you know, for it to gain a lot of acceptance. And, and you know, you see how many problems you can run into. But, uh, but I, I will argue that, that there'll be the same number of taxi drivers and the same number of Uber, Uber drivers and gig workers 
because right now the, the, the market share that they have of the trips in San Francisco is so small. Right. The opportunity is for this for this technology because of its pricing opportunity of being really inexpensive, high quality mobility is that not only is to pick up a whole other market that can't afford the taxi and, 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 uh, and the Ubers, they can still go because most of the people that take that, they don't care what they pay. They're on an expense account. They don't, okay. it's not them. And the, and the people that are struggling for that, my goodness, you know, most of the time they're choosing not to go to the doctor and they only go when they're really desperate and, and, and decide to trade food for, to, to go to the doctor. It's so big picture. That, you're big picture. You're, you're absolutely right about it because just as you say, if, you know, right now what we're talking about is converting um, um, people that are driving their cars. That's not, that's not compensated work and converting that into a commercial service. And so by create, what we're doing is creating a lot of commercial services. And it's just like we replaced a lot of work in the house, you know, with all the, all the technology and all the feet dishwashers and so on, we're going to do the same thing. And so the net effect of that is just what you were saying is that you're going to create a lot more business activity, which is going to create more jobs. And I think that's what a few people appreciate and understand. The problem is in San Francisco, you do have a very good transit system. And so, you know, the optics of it are that you're undermining transit. And, and I, so I think the, the strongest selling points, you know, in terms of market and politics is going to be outside the, the dense city centers. And you've said that yourself, Alan. But, but so, I'll, let me disagree with you just for the oh, heck of disagreeing and so that okay. we have a conversation. I don't think San Francisco does have that great of, <laughs> of a mobility system. Okay. Not in its 49 square miles. Not in its seven by seven. Sure. It has it has a, an automated subway for which it doesn't use the automation. It still has a driver up front. But okay won't go there to be able to take you to the airport or to take you to who knows where to take you to berkeley or take you to who knows where all right they yes they do have a cable car all right between between midnight and 6 a.m mooney runs two buses two two otherwise you need a ride if you need a ride in the middle of the night in san francisco what do you do Okay, these vehicles, the, 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 the cruise origin could just be sitting there all night long. Oh, please, please let someone need a ride. I'm just waiting for a ride. Okay, and during the day is, is to get around to go from, you know, one of the hotels to, to go, go to place a, some Chinese restaurant. Really? Somebody's going to take the bus? If you happen to be on a cable car, maybe you'll hop on it as a tourist. Okay, I, I I'd argue with you in that seven by seven. They really, these this stuff. I mean, level of service is like an elevator. Okay, you show up someplace, the darn thing's waiting for you. You hop in, it takes you to, to where you want to go. You know, right directly. I mean, you might go this way, but if you pulled it taut, it would look just like an elevator, and you forget about it. That's what they can do. They haven't sold that. 
They haven't told that. They haven't said to the people who don't go to places because they really can't get there, because they can't afford to get there, because they can't do it, don't do it. If it's across the, the town to shoot hoops or to, to get violin lessons or or whatever, it's not there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not sure that would be a compelling uh, political campaign because there is a lot of support for transit. And if you start telling saying it's it's not good enough, the comeback would be, well, let's invest more in transit and not let a big corp a tech corporation come in here. But, Tell us what is, to do and- but, but maybe Governor Newsom because he, you know, he he didn't sign the 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 bill that went through through this the state legislature uh, about you know mandating drivers in trucks just to save jobs, as I suggested, they should be like trains. They have, you know, two persons, and because there's not only longitudinal control, there's lateral control. We should have four people making sure that drive driving a truck is safe. And just think how many jobs you could create by that by that kind of legislation. You know, you go from one person to never mind. That's I'm being being silly. If if one looks at the opportunities of this mobility to improve the quality of life, to improve the economic activity in San Francisco, at the more at the bottom of the spectrum than at the top of the spectrum, because the people at the top of the spectrum, they have Lambos that they go between places. They don't, they use their one and dones. But to really improve the quality of life of everybody in San Francisco, or at least a larger portion of it, this is an opportunity. Plus, Mooney, okay, for every dollar they collect in the fare box, what do they do? Get a $4 subsidy to on top of it to be able to, to pay it? I mean, come on. I mean, excuse me. And that's at the level of service that they offer. If they could offer that level of service even more to get even more ridership, they would do it. But to do to do the incremental, guess what? They're up against it. They would need five times the amount of, of money they, they could collect out of the fare box. These things, oh my goodness. Again, our numbers say 250 a ride. And you make a little bit of money, charge four bucks, everybody's happy well it's clear that we do a very poor job of serving a large percentage of our population we've marginalized a lot of people and provide poor service to a lot of people so yes and we've continued to fail over the years in making it better and i think this i mean the point of this is we have an opportunity and the policymakers are not uh, grabbing that opportunity. Tell, tell me what your thoughts are about what the policymakers should be doing in terms of regulation. Well, I think at the, you know, I focus less on this. I'm less of a safety expert than transportation, but clearly, you know, NHTSA has to set set the ground rules, and you know, for these companies so that they can expand. Um, however they do it. But for me, the, the focus is actually more on the local level because that's where you create the incentives for the sharing and the pooling. Um, that's where you give preferential access like at airports or curb space. 
uh, for vehicles that are carrying multiple passengers. You can use pricing and taxation, you know, adjust the taxation to support it. So those are all the things I'd like to be, see happen. And, you know, the local governments, they, they complain, they have a legitimate complaint that they don't have any control over these vehicles um, in terms of their operation. Um, that's not total. It's not totally true because they do some things, and at least in California, the the state public, the California Public Utility Commission uh, regulates it along with the state Department of Motor Vehicles. But the local governments, they could be doing everything to support these vehicles being used as a public transportation. You know, and it's not just the you know the cruise origin, which is I think has five or six capacity. I mean, you can make, you know, mini, bu you know, buses, small buses and that are demand responsive app based. And then you're really reducing the cost even more so and creating even more efficiency. So, um, you know, and some of those, you know, the challenge is getting from here to there. And but it's also local governments becoming more savvy and they never did with, with you know, Uber and Lyft. They some of the cities gave a slight, you know, they adjusted the taxes a little bit. I believe Chicago was the first major one to do it, where they uh, charged a, a little bit less for a pooled ride than for a uh, single ride. But that was about the only thing that was done. In fact, they did just the opposite. They At airports, they pushed, you know, the TNCs farther away. They gave preferential treatment to the taxis. Uh, and so they didn't do the kinds they haven't and, the, and they aren't doing the kind of things, you know, that will lead to a transportation system that's far more efficient, as well as being safer, but far more efficient and far lower cost and providing and far more equitable, giving a lot more people access and mobility that, you know, they don't have now. I, I do uh, completely agree with you on that one, uh, Dan. The, the, the local folks have an enormous opportunity here, again, because they manage the curb space. And certainly, you know, my bias in terms of, of looking at this stuff is that it, it's it's not a replacement for ride hailing that comes to my front door and drops me off, you know, inside the building and I don't have to do anything to, to access it. I'm I'm a big fan of of identifying curb spaces or kiosk areas, uh, just like just like a, a lot of uh, taxi stands that exist where people know that they can go get a ride, and uh, and uh, and get a ride soon. And and uh, these things are are then restricted to basically going to other taxi stands or or kiosk so that the opportunity for pooling just like in an elevator you know you go you're either going up or you're going down and the elevator stops and it stays open in case anybody else wants to come in and then it takes you to where it's going and having of course the information system out of there to make sure that you get in the right vehicle and doing all that that's all easy to do and then you know where to go you get in you go you get out and you forget about it if somebody else gets in with you to handle the peak, I mean, elevators couldn't serve buildings if they weren't shared in peaks because we can never put enough elevators 
in a building to handle a peak. But the way they do it is to be able to share it during peaks. And this is a way to keep a fleet size down so that the, the CapEx is reasonable. So that, you know, your CapEx doesn't kill you. And, you're, and you get productivity out of vehicles, you have less energy use, da, da, da. all the other things come with it, less congestion, blah, 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 during the peaks, during the off-peaks, middle of the night, there's no opportunity. Take, make sure the vehicle isn't so big that you're afraid to take them. Make, you know, so the vehicle size equation becomes very important. Maybe only in certain places you have big vehicles where you really have a lot of demand. Other places, onesie twosies. So one of the losses during the pa pandemic is Uber and Lyft were moving in that direction. You know, they with their pooling services and they were setting it up so that you would meet at a certain location. You know, they said mm -hmm. walk, walk or two to they here. They did at LA there. airport. Yeah, you know, whatever. And, <laughs> yeah. and then, but even on resident in residential areas yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And then the pandemic, you know, it shut down the services. First of all, people didn't want to share rides. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and Uber is, just, you know, Lyft has said they're not doing shared rides anymore. I, I know you must see that must kill you. I mean, how it can does. they do that to you? <laughs> so, exactly. And Uber has started up in a limited number of cities. But, you know, it is I mean, there's a lot of opportunity to make this work and in a very efficient way and at a relatively low cost way. And so I'm hoping I'm counting on. Uh, GM especially. I haven't seen Waymo being especially committed to that vision, but GM is, and and we'll see what happens with Zooks, because Zooks is also. Yeah, yeah, but by their, the vehicle designs that they're proposing, for which, my goodness, Nitsa, let them build you know, 2,500 a year that creates jobs because they're all going to be built by hand anyway. Nobody's going to build an assembly line for 2,500 vehicles. So, you know, let them go out there and try this thing because their vehicles are designed to be inviting to have more than one person just ride there. I think Waymos isn't there because they're in that little itsy bitsy. I mean, they're they're in they're in something that says this is a private vehicle and I'm giving you a private ride and maybe you're dragging your wife along by her hair or something like that or whatever with you. But you know, this is this is a private thing. I I I think that both the designs of of GM and and, and, and Zooks are are really a, a vehicle that's inviting to sharing a ride, just like an elevator is inviting to share a ride. Wide door walk in. So I, I I do think you know some people you know do want more privacy and they have you know personal security, and so you know I can imagine that as the service expands. You can have vehicles that, you know, just like, you know, business class now on airlines for international, they put up these barriers between the seats. You don't even know who's sitting next to you anymore. Sure. And, but guess what? You pay, pay for that. Sure. Why not charge for that? That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely. The, the, this is this is America, a, right? I mean, you know, right. Right. You can have a premium, but still have multiple you know, riders in, well, in you, it. You could have premium multiple riders or maybe for them, my goodness, the heck with it. Um, you know, we're going to take all the money we earned from you because you want that, because you want that. Great. We'll then figure out a way to solve the environment with the money we take from you. Okay. 
You shouldn't get that for free, okay? There, there is still the issue, and that may compound it, of, of public acceptance. Alan, a couple of headlines that yeah. from the newsletter here that are related and, and opposite here. The Drive had a recent headline that read, Cruise Robotaxis Cause Austin Street Gridlock Due to Heavy Pedestrian Traffic. The subheadline reading, Residents in Austin are fed up with cruise-induced traffic jams just like Californians. And then you have another headline in the newsletter. You include an NPR piece with the headline, horseless carriages were once horseless carriages were once a lot like driverless cars. What can history teach us? Well, what can teach us with a horseless carriage is that they won. So we were, really should look at how the horseless carriage got over all these problems and ended up, I mean, they won, they, they, they de decimated the competition. They decimated steam. They decimated electricity. They decimated uh, streetcars. They decimated everything. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm NPR, thank you for the, for the whatever suggestions. But look at it carefully. <laughs> you know, part of the problem with those headlines is they're creating a narrative. They say, you know, people in Austin, you know, are, are, you know, upset, angry, just like in California. Well, you know, there were a lot of people in California that were very happy about it, were about the service that, you know, I got, you know, just from my, you know, op-ed, I blog, I got letters from disability groups, you know, disability rights groups, and they said, thank you, you know. So there's, a, you know, they're picking up a few people on the street that in quoting them. So it, no survey has been done, for instance, about, you know, what happened in San Francisco. And, and so, you know, they're overstating it, I think. And they are with Austin too, no doubt. Yeah, and they, they are people in Austin that would be supportive. Yeah, they, they are, Fred. And I guess, you know, of course, the, the, the other article that's in there is the one about Waymo and what they're doing in, in, in L.A. in preparation. And I think what, the, what, what they're doing in L.A. in preparation is doing a much better job of community involvement and going in there and talking to the community and say, what are your mobility challenges? What Where do you need rides? How can we help you? As opposed to coming in there and thinking, oh, my goodness, everybody's going to just love us because we have LIDAR, SHMIDARs and whatevers and we're high tech and we're safe. They've, they've got to get off the safety thing. The safety is a necessary condition. You can't play unless you're safe. But so safety is not going to get you one rider. You've got to talk about you've got to talk about the mobility you offer. You have to talk about how much it's going to cost. You have to talk about level of service. You have to talk about it being able to get you there. That's what you need to talk about. You need to talk about the quality of the ride, the safety, and and they had to do safety because of course, from where they're coming and looking at all these gizmos on there, they're afraid. They're, but they've proved the safety thing. They are safe in San Francisco. Now let's talk about the value of the mo mobility that you can deliver to the community and the quality of life and the economic uh, opportunities and the value and the improvement of the, of the neighborhood and the city. Talk about that. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, and that is, I mean, it's probably the case. I mean, I, I saw an analysis done of the, uh, the accident, the crashes in San Francisco. And, 
you know, if you do any kind of reasonable analysis, it looks like these vehicles did at least as be- as well and probably a lot better than than a comparable, you know, humanly driven vehicle. And, but, you know, they cherry pick all these um, anecdotes about. Right. And somebody come, comes on and says, oh, my goodness, they had four times as many crashes in San Francisco than San Francisco drivers. Guess what? The crashes that they have in San Francisco aren't re- reported by humans. Right. Okay. You have so a little, have a, you have, have a, you have a little you have a little tap, and everybody says, "I've got I've got places to go. I'm not reporting." You know, or here's fifty bucks or something like that. But here, every little tap was recorded. Every run over of a of a of a of a hose was reported. Cut it out, guys. <laughs> have a little anecdote on that. So a colleague of mine just yesterday, <laughs> colleague of mine here just yesterday in Davis, he was on his scooter. And there was an intersection, and um, and the it with a stop sign, stop sign, and so he started going, but the driver coming in from when he stopped had, you know, he didn't fully stop, and he didn't look around, and he hit the guy on the scooter, but just tapped him, and he did knock him over, yeah, and dazed him a little bit, but you know, he got the guy said, "You okay?" He got up, says, "Yeah, I'm okay." That was not reported, so you know, just like you're saying, Alan, there's. Most of those so-called crashes are non-reported. Otherwise, right? Maybe, almost, maybe almost maybe, almost every one of them actually. Maybe we should, Dan. Maybe we should have one of our students do a serious look at each one of these things and see and and see if in fact these things are or are not recorded. Yeah. when when humans are involved and basically you know bringing out and i mean you know they aren't okay and maybe because they're not recorded nobody it may be impossible for a student to do that but i, I would think it, it is it is a good investigation that you know for somebody to take a look at this because it's <laughs> It's just terrible. I mean, uh, once comparing apples and oranges. I mean, uh, comparing an apple and a and a and a meteorite. I mean, it's not even this. It's not. They're not even both fruits. So there's a data a data and regulation issue because you know the regulators want to collect data to understand exactly what's going on. Absolutely. There's an ongoing debate on how much you know should they be reporting. But then the problem is, is as you say, it's not symmetrical, and so if you just use that data, it, 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 you can't compare it to anything. What do you you know? I've, for years, I've been trying to you know get Tesla to give me their data on their crashes that they record, and Tesla not only has data on their crashes, they have data on their near misses. Okay, yeah. and it would be great if they put that out there. But the problem is, is if they put near misses out there, what's somebody's going to complain? There's there have been no near misses with humans. They're the only ones that have near misses. N- no, that's not it. They're the only ones that end up getting recorded. Okay, right. all the other ones don't get recorded. When NHTSA said all these crashes by level two vehicles have, have to be re- reported, I went through the database. Okay, Mercedes-Benz did not report the fact that when I was on my Distronic, I hit a deer. Okay, it ran out in front of me. 
why didn't Mercedes report that? Well, okay, moving, moving, <laughs> moving away from the safety issue, but back yeah, to yeah, you know, okay, uh, yes, societal, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but but playing off of what the the Tesla story. So we've done, we so we have data loggers on a lot of Teslas. Oh, you do. And, <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. and so I don't know that I don't know if our folks have looked at the safety, but they've looked at the actual usage, and it's becoming pretty clear that having the level two having level two uh, you know, driver assistance is leading to a lot more usage of those vehicles. And our studies came out about 30%. And uh, um, what's his name at UT Austin, Chandra Bhatt came up with some similar type numbers. So, you know, kind of one of the, and this is a phenomena where we talk about pooled versus personally owned is uh, if we're getting 30% more usage because you know, just because the ease, the dry, ease of driving uh, is is much better, you know, because I know myself, I would never drive to LA. It's 400 miles in a regular car. But with my autopilot on my Tesla, <laughs> I'm more willing to do it, you know, in certain situations. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't. And so as we as we migrate towards these more fully automated vehicles, we do have to really be sensitive to, you know, personal ownership of these AVs. And, and that's where that's where policy has to come in. And it's probably mostly at the state and local level, but it's the same policy to encourage, you know, the pooling and sharing. It's exactly the same policies. And that's what I'd like to, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to get a research group together to you know, get more involved in, on, on that because it's being ignored. Yeah, th those, those are very good points. You know, from the beginning, we've been, at least I've been saying that, that, that what I call self-driving, which is really level two, that's comfort and convenience. And there's no right. doubt this is comfort and convenience. And, you know, Elizabeth and I got a, got a lake place, you know, 70 miles south of here. And, and boy, I, 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 the drive is great and and having that having the intelligent cruise control so I don't have to sit there and look at the speedometer is absolutely fantastic and maybe if I didn't have that we wouldn't wouldn't have gotten that and we you know we wouldn't the quality of life that that has given to me as an improvement is fantastic okay and I want to I want to I, I, I just I, I, I think I deserve it. Sorry, Dan, but whatever. I think I deserve it, and I think people deserve it. On the other end of the spectrum, with the driverless stuff, I mean, what we try to look at is we try to figure out what the latent demand is in cities for mobility. And I think if you look at the lower part of the spectrum of, of income distribution, you know, between the tenth and and thirty percentile, and so on. There are a lot of trips that are not taken because people can't afford them and there, there's no transit system that can serve them when they would like to go. And therefore, their quality of life, I think, because, you know, if we look, we all know that the improved utility and you've got to have enough utility gain out of the thing to be able to then offset whatever the darn cost is. And right now, you know, the, the cost of the Home Depot style is non-inexpensive. 
Okay. And therefore, if we, those folks deserve an opportunity to have some mobility to improve their quality of life. So we can't all usurp it for ourselves. How do we then put it together so that we don't destroy the planet and all the other things? And, you know, the, to me, that's where the sharing and what you've been preaching from the beginning, the sharing is key, important, and we can. And, and it is and, and and still have high quality of life and have quality of service and high quality of life, I think. Talking about the, the planet, uh, Dan, you were quoted the other day by CNN reporting on Governor Newsom's move uh, to file suit against the oil companies uh, for what they call a pattern of deceiving the public on the effect of their products. Uh, Newsom had spoken at the uh, climate uh, summit last week. So all, all tied in, a little different avenue, but tied in. Yeah, it's, you know, is it the climate change? I mean, the evidence is overwhelming, right? That, you know, we are seeing significant climate change. It's, it's going to accelerate unless we do something about it. And so like, you know, I'm pretty encouraged because on the electric vehicle side, um, we're making great progress. You know, those of you on the East Coast, maybe, um, you don't see it as much, um, although you're in uh, New Jersey. New Jersey's doing okay. We're doing okay. There are a lot of Teslas in, in Princeton. Fred drives a Tesla. I guess I got to get one. <laughs> but, you know, the U.S. as a whole is way behind Europe and way behind China. And, you know, they're trying, you know, they've tried to, the Biden administration has tried to accelerate EVs, but by throwing money at it, as opposed to adopting regulations. And I think we've come to learn through research and experience that the most effective rules in that for electric vehicles are regulations that are imposed on the auto industry. Because the industry is ready, they know how to do it. They have the supply chains, they have the technology, and it's just a matter of moving forward. And but that's, you know, for the climate story and transportation, you know, that's, you know, beginning and end of the story is the electric vehicles. And that's why this focus on shared automated vehicles, I think, deserves so much more attention than, it, than it's getting. You know, we talk about reducing VMT, but as Alan just pointed out, you know, that is a good strategy overall, but there's a, a significant part of the population where that would be an unfair uh, strategy to impose on them. You know, they have, they don't have good mobility and accessibility. So anyway, maybe that's a good place to end this. That's well, but but just on that, I think I, I always prefer to talk about PMT, personal miles traveled. I agree. The, the, on the individual, and and the, the question is is how do we package those person miles? And we have the opportunity through sharing to actually do both. Okay, if we do the sharing, if we do the sharing, when the sharing, in fact, is easy to do, as opposed to, I have no idea when my neighbors need to go or want to go anywhere. There is no information system that even gives me an opportunity to share rides. Although I did share rides with Henry Von Cohorn, my backdoor neighbor, to go to the Princeton football game last Saturday. So we did, we did. But the, the amount of information that exists 
to be yeah. able to have some of us. Whereas, you know, some of these vehicles, they are going to be electric. If we if we disperse them correctly, then let people aggregate themselves so that the opportunity for sharing exists. We can I think we have the opportunity to get there, have both things, increase PMT, decrease VMT. Yeah, that's exactly. I've been actually yeah. saying that in my You've been saying that forever. <laughs> yeah. I know. No. It, I know. Well, Another yeah. quick a Governor Newsom story while we were mentioning him. He's vetoed a bill that would have required human safety drivers in self-driving trucks for at least the next five years. And you highlight that in the newsletter, Alan. Yeah, phew. Great. Move on. Yeah, great. Thank you. I mean, you know, talk about what well, never mind. Another quick headline, Tesla has released an update to the Optimus robot. Uh, there's video that you point out. On yeah, people can watch Tesla it. I don't daily. know. I'm not I'm not a big fan of, of reproduction of, of what people can do. I think automation should be used for what people can't do and, and reinvent how things are done as opposed to having, you know, but whatever, he, whatever, watch it. It's, it is pretty good, but it's technological. <laughs> And we've been talking about uh, Cruz, uh, Kyle Vogt, the, the CEO, was at the TechCrunch Disrupt 2023 and said he would join the call to ban human drivers in city centers. Whatever. Yeah, sure. OK, great. Um, yeah. And uh, good luck. I, I don't um, know. Someday. Uh, someday. Yeah. No, I'm, I think I think I'm worried about this stuff surviving and, and being able to go the next step right now. I mean, the issue is to get started. One of the things we never did in personal rapid transit is get started. Forty years, three systems were built. We got to get started. Terrific. Well, Dan, I, I want to thank you for spending the time with us. So once again, we, we really appreciate all of your insights and, and the work that you're doing. Well, thank you, Fred. And thank you, Alan. It's, it's a pleasure. And, you know, I love your newsletters, you know, <laughs> that I, I'm a diligent reader of them. Oh, thank you. That, that is very nice coming from you and see you in Scottsdale, right? I mean, for the uh, IATR annual meeting, uh, I think the taxi industry has an opportunity to embrace this stuff, to actually be able to go out there and not only give rides to people who who would like to have a person in there, but also give rides, shared rides to groups of people. So the they, opportunity. Have the, they have the mayor of Chandler uh, giving the opening talk and, you know, Chandler is where. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that'll yeah. be interesting. Yeah, I want to hear. The problem is with Chandler is I think everybody has like four cars, but that's probably not true. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I I exaggerate, but yeah, you know, it may not be the place where. Yeah, but there's. See you there, <laughs> and congratulations to Matt Doss for putting that program together. Yeah, yeah, and yes, absolutely, Matt. Great, and anybody else who make a last minute decision to go. I think there will be very good discussions about providing rides to people and improving mobility and improving the improving improving the the climate and, and saving the planet and everything. So yep. it'll be good. Yep. Thanks. See you. Okay. Thank you, Dan. Bye. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Amazon, wherever you turn to for podcasts. You can get smart speakers to play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching. Please continue to stay safe.
Thanks, Dan. See you.